it's great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, in Cambodia, it would be uh, which means uh, good morning, how are you? And uh, you would pl- reply with Susadai uh, or Jirimpsua. Susadai. So, uh, obviously, we're not in Cambodia today, but uh, I am so excited to be here. Uh, me and my family. Um, my wife, uh, Susie, uh, my daughter, Abigail, and my son, Malachi, and then uh, the one in the tummy that we call Peanut. Uh, we are super excited to, to be here, and um, yeah, it's just you guys are a blessing to our family. Whether or not you know it, um, you guys have been our, our sending church. You guys have been our home here back um, in the States, and, and we're just so excited to be back. It's a, a breath of fresh air to be back with you guys, and yeah, really excited to share with you guys. If you don't know, my name is Joshua, and uh, me and my family um, have been missionaries. Uh, I have been there for the last five and a half years, and me and my family have been there for the last three and a half years. And uh, we are so excited um, to share with you just uh, about what God is doing. And, and uh, you know, I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you guys about the, the ministry that's happening in Cambodia. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot that's going on. But it's interesting because I really see God doing something in the church globally. Um, and it looks very similar. And it's ironic because we think uh, that because a con- you know, another country, they speak another language, um, that it's going to look different. But the reality of it is, is, is God is, is doing something with the church very similarly. I don't know if that's cr- My English has gotten very bad as I learned Khmer. Um, so I apologize if I'm not using the correct grammar. But um, uh, God is doing something similar in the U.S. as he's doing in Cambodia. Um, and I don't know if you, about you, but we've been... I don't know if you know, but we've been in this thing called uh, the pandemic, and uh, it's kind of changed everything, right? Um, whether you think it's good or bad or, or whatever, um, we, you know, we went and started a, a new ministry um, at a local church in 2020, the beginning of 2021. We were here with you guys. Um, our last Sunday was here in, uh, in February. It was like February 3rd or something, 2021. And uh, we were so excited to go back to Cambodia and start this new ministry that we had thought uh, we had been praying about and planning. And, you know, we thought it was going to look a certain way. And, um, you know, we're excited because during that time, you guys were in the middle of COVID and, you know, everything was shut down. And it was just weird here. You know, you guys remember about a year, year and a half ago, it was just, it was weird. It was depressing and sad. And we were excited to get back to Cambodia because at that time, it was normal. Um, So... We got on a plane, fly back, and we knew that 14 days of quarantine was waiting for us. So we were like, all right, we're going to get prayed up, and we're going to get ready. And, um, you know, at that time, uh, my wife was pregnant with with Malachi, and we had Abigail, who was about 18 months at the time. And we were going to stay 14 days in this hotel room. And uh, as you can imagine, that sounds miserable. It was. Um, And, uh, you know, we're thinking, okay, we have 14 days, and it's such a mental thing, right? In our minds, it was 14 days, and we can do it, like, 14 days. So uh, this whole time, we're planning, and then things start to, to change, you know. In Cambodia, everything is done on Facebook. All the, the, the news happens on Facebook. All the government announcements happens on Facebook. All the, anything that's going to happen, it happens on Facebook. That's just what they use Facebook for in Cambodia. Um, and it's interesting because we saw that, oh, there was this girl that escaped from the hotel that we're in, and... Um, they're making a pretty big deal about it. And so they came into our room and they 
they had us like back up because we could have COVID and they came in and put this big red sign on the inside of our door that said, if you leave this room, you'll be fined $500 each time unless you have permission. And we're like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? And um, then we get called and we were supposed to get tested in the beginning of the, the, the 14 days and at the end of the 14 days. And, and then we got tested on the, the eighth day and then the 12th day and we're like, and we keep getting negatives. And then we get to the 14th day and we're like, all right, today's the day. We're going home. We made it. We go to bed. You know, it's like eight o'clock. We're all like ready to go. And eight o'clock comes around, nothing. We go to bed. We wake up in the morning. I'm like, okay, maybe like they're just busy. They'll let us out. Nothing. I'm like, I'm trying to call people. I'm like, what is going on? We get to day 17. And finally at nine in the morning, we get a call that says, all right, you're test has come back, you're negative, you're free to go. And I, I mean, there was a lot of tears between 14 days and 17 days. Um, and uh, it was, you know, it's just such a mental thing. But we made it through. Um, we got out. We were so excited. But at that time, um, our flight actually brought in one of the new variants. I think at that time it was the UK variant or whatever they called it. And so the country started to shut down. They're like, oh no, it's here. It's going to get everybody. And the whole country shut down. We ended up going so far shut down where um, they had different colored zones throughout the city, and depending on what zone you were in, you were able to leave your house or you were able to leave your neighborhood. And we were in a zone where we were allowed to leave our house, but not our neighborhood. And so we had to meet, pe- literally meet friends at this barricade, and they would pass us food over, and we'd grab it and bring it back home. And um, and luckily, that only lasted, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks? Okay, maybe a month. I don't know. You blur that stuff out. Um, like quarantine, I'm thinking about it, just get shivers. But um, you know, it's like, so we went through all this and then we're like, all right, we're going to get into ministry. And then the whole country shuts down and all the churches, of course, are the first thing to be shut down. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to, to do this new ministry. And I don't know if you know, but uh, young adult ministry is really difficult, uh, regardless of what part of the world you're in. Uh, people at that age, we're trying to figure out, is this faith for me? Do I want to be involved in church? You know, my parents, some of, some of them, their parents like force them. Some of them, they're not quite sure because, you know, it's like, well, I'm, I'm kind of busy. And so people are very like, yeah, wishy-washy. And, you know, the, the pastor at the, the church said, hey, we really need to reach young adults because they're about 70% of our church is young adults. And we have nothing. We have children's, youth, adults, um, but we have nothing for young adults. So Susie and I said, okay, well, we've done some youth ministry. We've been involved in a a young adult ministry. Um, And then in Cambodia, we've been doing youth and young adults. Uh, We've been working with them. So we're like, okay, we got this. And uh, we began, but I don't know if you remember during uh, the intense COVID times, there's this thing called Zoom. And every time I say the word Zoom, I get a little like PTSD because I cannot stand Zoom, especially for ministry. Uh, because I am so awkward on Zoom trying to, I mean, it's like, okay, everybody, like, we're going to pray. And then it's like, do you open your eyes? Do you close your eyes on Zoom? Like, what do you do here? And uh, it's just awkward, and I, I couldn't stand it. But that was what we had, and uh, most of the Cambodians uh, that we are working with are in the city, and yes, we have internet, and yes, most of them have smartphones. And so we're able to have these different things, but we have this ministry team that we've never met, and we're their new leaders, and uh, it's just this, it's really difficult for, for several months, and me and Susie are getting discouraged, and we're like, oh, this is, this is really hard, and, um, and then God just kind of came in, and, and, and God really just began to speak to us about um, what these, what these, 
young adults needed and what we were there to do for them. And we began to open up our house because we had control over our house. We couldn't meet in large groups. We were able to open up our house. So we began to do small things within our home. We had a small group that would begin to meet on Sunday, Sunday evenings for the, the expat community that was there. And we just began to do what we could. And uh, we began to build this community of, of young adults. And um, it was amazing because we saw how hungry these people were for other people. They were hungry for relationship. They were hungry for community. Um, and so we did our best to, uh, to create that until finally in November of 2021, November of last year, things began to open up and we were able to meet in churches again. And it was amazing because most of these people we'd never seen in person. We'd just seen them on Zoom. And so to see them in person and get to just experience and, and do church with them and, and to just come and be in community was such a gift. Um, of course, it obviously wasn't just easy right off. It hasn't ever been easy, but it's, it was good, you know, right off the bat. Um, and it just was such a time where um, now we've seen um, the, our leadership team begin to grow, and they're actually running the ministry while we're away. And, you know, I'm sending messages at midnight, which is like their noon time, so they have time to talk. And, you know, we're chatting about this, the, the next young adult event that's coming up. And we've just seen a radical um, shift in our church, seeing more and more young adults be reached for the gospel um, and it's such an exciting time in, in Cambodia right now. And, and, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is, is, is this idea um, about being a disciple of Jesus. You see, in, the, in Cambodia and in the U.S., you know, they're, they're very similar. Young adults are, are very similar to young adults here in the States. You know, they just look different and speak a different language. But um, they, they all are the, they have same um, desires. In the same way, and the same thing that's happening with the church in Cambodia, I believe is happening with the church here in the U.S., and I believe that God is moving us into a time of, of really making disciples. But in that process, there's some things that come, and, um, and I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from, if you guys want to turn to Luke 14, um, I'm going to read from Luke 14, starting in verse 25. I don't know if you guys have this in your life, but have, do you ever have, have you ever had a person in your life where on, in normal circumstances, they're very sweet, very loving, maybe a little bit gentle and kind, and, and you just, they're just, a, they're so nice to be around, right? That was my wife, is my wife. Um, <laughs> she's very sweet and, and kind, and everybody loves her, okay? And uh, I've known her since she was 15. We've, we grew up in, in, uh, in, in youth group together, and, uh, you know, so it's been 12 years or so that we've been together been together in one way or another. And um, so everyone, she's, you know, she's very, she's not that tall. She's not this big and just lovely, lovely lady. But when you get her into a competition of any kind, no matter if she's facing three-year-olds or not, she wants to win and dominate. And if she needs to, she will kill, kill to win. Not that she's killed anybody, but I just, the, the look in her eyes, you know that if that is what the option is to win, she will do it. She is one of the most intense people I know when it comes to games, especially like youth group games where it's like physical and like she just becomes this mad woman where it's like, where did that come from, you know? And uh, in youth group, I, I can remember when she was young, when we were younger, like 15, 16, and uh, you know, she just, she'd just go crazy, and everyone knew to, like, watch out for Susie when she was in this mode, and um, she still has it. It was probably, like, two months ago, we were playing this game with these Cambodian kids, and 
it didn't matter. They were like five years old, these little girls that are like as big as my daughter. And Susie was like, she was crazy. I had to like, Susie, these are five-year-olds. Like we can, we can lose to them. It's okay. Um, but anyway, I don't know if you guys have any of those people in here that change. And, um, but uh, I love my wife, but she is definitely competitive and can get crazy and, and intense. And here's the thing. I want to read from um, Luke 14. It says that large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning them, he said. So first of all, before we go any further, I want to just put the picture of what we're, where we're at in the Bible right now. Okay, so Jesus had just fed the 5,000, which really was 15 to 20,000 if you count the, the, the wives and the children and all the other people that, that weren't counted. We're talking 15 to 20,000 people. I don't know if you've ever been in a room or in a place with 15 to 20,000 people, but it's a lot of people, like a lot of people. I, I like people, but that, that's a lot of people, all right? So I can't imagine literally being a man Jesus, where there's 15 to 20,000 people that are following you. Like that's, that's insane. But the reason that they're following Jesus is they just got fed. Jesus was like, here's some free food, y'all. Here's some free food. I'm going to share these amazing messages with you. Here's all this, this amazing thing about the kingdom of heaven and all this great stuff. And everyone's like, this guy's awesome. Jesus was the place to be. Jesus was awesome. But then the moment happened where Jesus became intense. This is intense Jesus. All right. He says, as any of anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Oh, shoot. Hold on a second. All the people are like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yo, I was here for the free food. What are you talking about? Hating my mom, hating my dad and myself. This is not what I signed up for. What are you talking about? Obvi- and, and, and just for clarity, we know this is not exactly what Jesus is saying. We're not saying, Jesus is not saying you have to hate your mom, hate your dad, hate yourself. What he is saying is he's pointing out that in comparison to the love that you have for Jesus, it would look as if you hate your family because of the amount of love and dedication and uh, just the, 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 the hugeness of it that in comparison, it would look like you hate everything else, including yourself. So you did not hear me say to hate your mom, hate your dad, all that. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what God is saying because we know the character of God. But what he is saying is he's saying, it takes everything to be my disciple. And you see that he ta- at the very end, he says, you need to carry, you have to carry your cross and follow me. You know, all of them knew that the cross was the symbol of crucifixion. It was the, the penalty. It was the, the death sentence. And he was saying that you have to love me more than anyone and you have to know and be ready to die with me. You see, these people at the time, 15 or 20,000 of them were like, all right, let's do it. Let's go. This guy's giving us free food. Like, I'm going to follow you. To the, I mean, we all love free food, right? It doesn't matter if it's even really that good. It's free. We're going to eat it, right? And this, this guy, you know, had just fed all these people, and they're, and they're following him, and then Jesus, Jesus just changes, intends Jesus, right? You see, wisdom is, is that you count the cost. We have to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple. We have to count the cost of what Jesus is really acting. You see, Jesus isn't asking for us to just play church. He's not asking for us to just come and, and to follow him and, and listen to the nice words that he has to say. That's not what Jesus is asking. You see, he tells a parable next. He says, suppose if he wants to, uh, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, 
everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the other 20,000? If he is not able, he will not send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask in terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Again, everyone's like, wait a second. That's not what I signed up for. No, you're supposed to give me stuff, God. You're supposed to fulfill my needs. I'm not supposed to give you everything. Like, that, that wasn't what the deal was. You know, that's what these fifteen to 20,000 people are thinking. People are shocked because Jesus just said, hey, here's what the cost is to be my disciple. He's, he's saying, I need everything. I need your time. I need your money. I need your energy. I need your opinions. I need your fears, your comfort, your conveniences. I need your agendas. He said everything. You know, we hear this message, we hear this message often, at least in my life, I've heard it where we have to give God everything. We sing these songs where it's like, God, I give you everything. I give you everything. And then we walk out of church and it's like, mm, okay, my life now, check the box of church. And you know, God has really been, has really been convicting my heart and saying, hey, Joshua, like we gotta, we, we have to live this out. You see, God wants relationship with us. And so he's, a, he's such a good God because even though a lot of times we as a church like to look at God like Santa Claus, we like to say, you know what? He brings good gifts and yes, Jesus brings good gifts and the Holy Spirit brings good gifts. But it's not just a one-way thing. You know, unfortunately, it's not as easy as that. But it's simple. You know, the basics of Christianity is the core is that Jesus came to give everything and in return, we give him everything. You see, when we understand that God is asking for everything. We're, we kind of stop and we're, we're thinking, you're like, that, that, that's a heavy price. That's, that's a lot. But you know, when we look at what the reward is, it looks a little bit different. You see, the God, the, the Jesus of the New Testament isn't like Santa Claus. Yes, he healed people, he gave and, and he served, but he asked for everything in return. And for us, like, that's hard to do. And, and something that made me kind of think about this is, I don't know uh, if you guys have ever seen that show. It's the antique road show where, you know, these people find these things in basements and garage sales and bring it in. It's worth, you know, a lot of money. Let's just say, for example, you found this, you, you paid for this thing. It was like $100. You paid for this old lamp and you brought it in and they said, oh, it's worth a million dollars. You'd be, it'd be awesome. I mean, you would do that all day long, every day if you could, Right. But what if that person then later on complained that they had to pay $100 for that lamp, even though it was worth a million? We'd all think they were crazy, right? In the same way, when we complain about having to give Jesus everything, it's like complaining for something that we think costs so much to us. It's so hard. It's so hard to give everything. But in the grand scheme of things, the reward is, is it's hard to even think about. It's just priceless. You see, the reward is eternity with Jesus in heaven. You see, when we look at the reward, we're seeing something that is, that is so hard to put a price on that when we look at it in the grand scheme of things, God's just asking for our life. He's saying, give it all. And you know, this isn't some God that hasn't, um, that's failed you. This isn't some God that's, that's mean. This isn't some God that is gonna just take control of your life and make it horrible. We're talking about the God of the universe who we know to be good, 
who we know that has been faithful, that we can look back on our life and even when it's hard, we say, okay, God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And and since that is true, I can trust you with my life. You see, when we have under when we have problems understanding the reward and comprehending it, there's two reasons that usually are they. It's the first one, you've never encountered the love of God. Because when you encounter the love of God, it changes everything. When you encounter the love of God, it changes your whole perspective on what love really is and who God is. Because the love of God comes and washes over a multitude of sins. The love of God comes and changes our hearts from the inside out. The next reason that sometimes we don't understand the the reward is that we've distanced ourselves from his love. We've said, okay, God, like, I'm too bad. I'm too shameful. I've done too much in my life. Like, let me, I'm just going to take a step back. You know, you you can love those people, but I'm not lovable. We do this. Our tendency is to isolate when we feel shame. And, you know, God's coming in. He's saying, hey, I came I sent my one and only son to die for you. And I did that as an example. You see, God is the ultimate leader. Jesus is a leader, the one that we are all called to mimic and to live like. You see, a good leader leads by example. And the same way Jesus led by example, he gave his entire life literally for us. And he's asking the same in return. It may not be literal, but it's saying all those things before, our time, our energy, opinions, fears, all of our, all the parts of our lives that we like to keep for ourselves. You see, Jesus is radical. You know, it's funny because a lot of times we think of Jesus like we, if he was here today, we'd want him to come to our churches and speak and, and we want him to kind of be the, you know, it would just be amazing. But you realize Jesus came and he, he would literally say the most horrific, offensive things and then not explain them. The things that he said back in the, in, in the time when, with the Jews is that they were completely against everything that they believed. And we see here, right? We would probably never have this guy, Jesus, come to any of our conferences. He had fifteen to 20,000 followers, and now he has 12. He did the opposite of what we all, um, as, as pastors and ministry leaders, are, are trying to do. We're trying to grow, and, and we're trying to have these, you know, or... These, these followings and, and all these things, but Jesus said something that was so radical. He went from thousands to 12. Think about that for a minute. We wouldn't have that guy come and speak. We'd be like, you're doing something wrong. Because the, the Bible is so often completely countercultural to the world we live in. And you see, a lot of times in today's day and age, we as believers, we like to think that we can live both in the world and in Christ. We like to kind of keep our feet and our hands in both areas because, you know, the world's kind of fun sometimes. And Jesus, he's kind of crazy sometimes in what he's asking of us. So we kind of like to come over here. Sundays, maybe we kind of come over here. But God is saying, I want you all in. I want you all in. And the count to, you have to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple. The last point that I want to make, and this is something I really believe that God is um, is, is speaking. I want to, uh, in Matthew thirteen forty four. it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. You see, I've read this verse many times and I thought it was other things than it was. And the, but the reality of it is this, this is the picture of what we're talking about. 
You see, this man found, um, and this is a parable, obviously, not a, a real story. This is a parable for Jesus to explain that when we find the kingdom of heaven, when we find Jesus, the reward, that it is so worth our entire life that just like in the story, this man went, sold all he had to buy the field so that he could own this kingdom of heaven because that's how much it was worth in his mind. And notice it doesn't say he just bought it. It says that in his joy, he went and sold all he had. You see, that's the place that God is getting us to. That's the place that God wants to walk with you to, to where in our joy, we give him everything not in our complaining, not in our grudging. Yes, God is so patient with us that he will do that with you until you get to the joy. But he wants to get to you to where you have joy in your heart so that you can actually give Jesus everything. You see, me and, and my wife, you may think, oh, they, you guys live in Cambodia. This is so easy for you. No, it's not. <laughs> the reality of it is, is that we have to wake up every single day and instead of looking at like our job, we have to look at it like the call that God has put. And every day we have to remember, God, we're giving you everything. And there are days we don't remember. And there are days we don't live that way. Don't get me wrong. And in the same way, the, re- the, 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 the point that I believe that, that God wants to share and an action point for you guys and really the, the church as a whole is that God has created community and he's given each and every one of you community. And it's called the church. You see, in today's day and age, something that I've seen not only here in the U.S. or in Cambodia and Thailand and Vietnam and the countries around us that we have people and friends in, that the church is under attack. And not the same way that maybe the politicians want you to say, whether one side or the other side here in the States. Community is under attack. The devil wants you to be alone because you're easy when you're alone. You know, we like to talk about this like as men and we, we talk about accountability groups and we talk about getting together and being with your brothers. And, you know, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so when one person sharpens another. But I want to tell not just the men, but also the women, we were created for each other. God said that the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments come after and come around those two. So if we believe that the Bible is true, which I do, and that's what it says, we have to remember that God has called us to love God and to love people. We were created to do life together. You see, the idea of giving everything to Jesus is a hard one. But when we are collectively together working towards that goal, it's something different than when we're trying to do it by ourselves. We can get, we can get, put down, we can feel like it's too much and too heavy and give up when we're by ourselves. Trust me, I know because I've done that. But when we're in community that's healthy, when we fight for community, because you have to fight for it right now. Right now, the world is telling you you don't need anybody else. You just can do it by yourself. Go to church online. Okay. And anyone that goes to church online, I'm not condemning you. That's not the point. Sorry, online church. Um, go to church online and, and, and you know, don't be part of a small group. Or, I, you know, I don't, really, I don't really fit into this small group. Fight for it. Because even if you feel like, oh, this isn't for me, or I just, yeah, it's just too hard, that's not Jesus. Because we have to fight for community because the only way that we are gonna win is when we have Jesus 
and the community that he's given us. And everyone in this room, you've been given a community and it's right here. So I just, I really believe that in today's day and age and, Cam- and even in Cambodia, one of the things that we've been, we've been pressing and, and fighting for is this idea that you're not too busy for community. You see in, in Cambodia, the, the young adults that we work with, you know, they go to, they work until five o'clock, 5.30 to 8.30, they go to university every single six days a week. So Sunday is the only day they have. So going to church is a big deal because that's the day that they do laundry. That's the day they could spend with their family. That's the only day they have. And yet some of them have chosen, no, I want to because this community is important. And it's so hard to fight when, to fight that idea that I'm too busy and it's not that important and I'll get it another time or later in life. Like I get it. I have two young kids. Like we are busy, busy time right now. But we have to fight for community because without community, it's just too hard and it's too easy to quit. So I I encourage you guys, in the same way that we've encouraged our our young adults and the same way that we see the church in Cambodia fighting for this, I encourage you to fight for community because when we are in community, it's easier to give everything to to the Lord to be disciples of Christ. God is calling each and every one of you to be his disciples. And I say this as encouraging and, and good news because God is saying, hey, it's not too late. I want to be your disciple maker. And maybe you guys have, have been coming to church for a long time and, or maybe you guys have been with the Lord for 30 years or, or whatever your story is, God still has more. God still wants to disciple you. He still wants to grow you. And so I encourage you this morning, um, we're gonna pray in just a second, but I encourage you to think about those areas that you haven't given to the Lord. Think about those people that are in your life that you can go and say, hey, I'm really struggling with giving this to God. Will you help me? You see, when we... Give Jesus everything. He does miracles. Just like in the same way when he went to the little boy and he said, hey, this is all you have, your lunch. This is, you have some fish and some bread. Will you give it to me? And the little boy said, yes. And what do we see Jesus do? He didn't make that little boy's life miserable. He didn't make the little boy starve. Because sometimes that's what we think Jesus is going to do when we give him everything but he took that little boy's lunch and he fed all those people and there was an abundance left over. That's what God wants to do with your life. He wants to take your life. He wants to bless you and all the people around you when you give him everything because he's a good God. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our life because the reward is so much better than we could ever give him.